Welcome. It's great to have all of you here. You know, now more than ever, it seems like everything's going electronic, doesn't it? You think maybe someday in the future, aliens will arrive to this planet and it'll be deserted. And they'll pick up a magazine and say, it says here that uh, this planet used to be inhabited by humans, but in 2020, they all moved to the cloud. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> well, it's time to turn it over to someone who knows a thing or two about digitalization. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. I want to show you something really amazing. Can you see it? Wait, wait for it, wait for it. There, see? It's a flower. Come on, guys. This is actually a really special kind of wire that you can do a lot of neat things with, like make flowers, right? <laughs> but I want to show you another neat thing that it can do. I brought with me some toasty water. A little too toasty. Hang on a second. <laughs> okay, there we go. So I'm going to take the wire. Can you see it there? I'm going to stick it in the, the hot water, and it's going to remember the shape it was in before and go back to that, if this works. Here we go. Whoa! <laughs> there we go. And every part I put in the water bounces back. Or I'll do the other side just to finish up. There we go. Whoa! Yeah, if I could get this part in the water, it would go back too. There we go. <laughs> so this is a really special kind of wire called memory wire. That's one of its names because when it learns a shape, then you can heat it up and it'll go back to that shape, which is pretty cool. And when it's uh, heated up, it's really, really um, elastic. It wants to bounce right back to its shape. Uh, it has another name. It's also known as um, memory wire and muscle wire. And they call it muscle wire because you can heat it up with electricity, for example, and it'll actually contract. And so you can use it kind of like you would our muscles. Remember, the way our muscles work is when we want them to, they contract and they move our arm, for example. And uh, so we can use these little wires in robots. For, and if you take the STEM course, we actually use muscle wire to make a robot. And we kind of show how you would be able to use that and make your own circuit. So definitely do, definitely do that. <laughs> but... Uh, there are a lot of other applications for muscle wire. Uh, one application I want to show you is an experiment that NASA did. Uh, some of you might remember this. They actually used this muscle wire, its other name is nitinol, as a tire. And it's really, really springy, and it can be deformed and go right back to the same shape many, 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 many times. And so it actually makes a very durable and comfortable ride. For the tire. So that's one application where nitinol is pretty interesting. And remember, this is something that NASA needs for when they go to other planets because there aren't very many places to get new tires, right? <laughs> so that's useful. Another really interesting application is in stints that go inside of the blood vessels, like in people. And this is something that nitinol is also really, really good for. In fact, another type of stint just got approved by the FDA that's made out of this nitinol wire. And uh, again, when it's at the right temperature, it'll spring out and hold its shape really, really well. And um, 
That's a pretty interesting application. Now, the temperature that the nitinol will spring back to its shape at is dependent on the mixture of the nickel and titanium that they mix together to make this wire. Now, there are a lot of interesting applications, but did you know that this wire is also pretty cool? Okay, it can be used to cool. <laughs> That's another thing that they can actually use nitinol wire for. If you take some of this wire and stretch it, then it'll actually heat up. And it can heat up as much as 20 degrees Celsius just from pulling on it. Then if you hold it there, let it cool down, and then let go and relax it, then it'll actually cool back down. But since it's already cool, it'll cool to colder than the room temperature. And that's a lot the same way that our air conditioning systems work, except we usually use uh, fluid that we expand into a gas and then contract into a fluid, and that has the same kind of effect. Uh, let's take a look at this unit that some researchers in Germany made. And what they're doing here is they have a wheel that turns. The LEDs just make it look cool. <laughs> that's always a plus. But there's a wheel that turns, and at one side, the little teeny muscle wires in there get expanded, get stretched, and the other side they get relaxed. And so one side is warm and one side is cold. And they found that they could get three times the efficiency of a normal air conditioning unit, which is pretty dramatic when you think about it. But also a lot of the chemicals, the, the uh, liquids that they use for those air conditioning units can be pretty hard on the environment if they get released into the air and especially in large volume. So having a replacement for that actually has a, a lot of potential in reducing the greenhouse gases. Some of the really, really powerful gases are actually the kinds of things you would find in these air conditioning systems. Well, I want to show you a little bit more of how this air conditioning works because this is a concept that is so amazing if you understand it. And it can be a little bit confusing because there's like a loop, but if we start, at, at one spot, let's start at the top where we have the compressor. And we take the, the fluid in this case and compress it. Then as we compress it, it will uh, warm up. And then we let it cool down. That's on the, the left there in the red. And once it's cooled down enough, then we go through the expansion valve. And as it expands and becomes a gas again, then it cools down and it gets colder, and then we can run it through our radiator, cool down our house, and then go back and compress it again. So if you stare at that for a little while, it starts to make sense how this cycle works. And that's the exact same idea that they're doing with the nitinol wire, where they stretch it, and then they let it cool down, and then they let it go, and it gets even colder, and they have it even colder on that side. So they can use this uh, cycle. and. Uh, it's another example of a really neat application for nitinol, isn't it? This is one of my favorite wires. It's, it's good at a lot of things. It's not good at conducting electricity like copper wire is, but we already have copper wire for that, right? So the next time you need muscle or memory or just to be cool, then nitinol's your thing. <laughs> That's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias.
have you ever sat and just started daydreaming and be like, man, I wonder what it would have been like if I invented the light bulb? Wow. I'd be pretty important. It'd be pretty awesome if you invented the light bulb, right? Well, one of the things that people don't really appreciate a lot of times about the incredible invention of the light bulb that Thomas Edison brought was it wasn't this walk in the park once that was done. It wasn't like, high five everybody, let's go put posters up. Okay guys, put this in your house. Go put it in your lamp and you'll have light at night. Go, try it. Nope, because nobody had a lamp that you screw a bulb into. Nobody had electricity running to their house for the lamp. So it wasn't like now we can power the city and light it at night. It was a lot more work that had to go into making the light bulb usable for the household. And Thomas Edison, after inventing the light bulb, would then go about inventing an entire infrastructure of electrical grids throughout cities so that people could actually use this new product and this new invention. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. We are going to talk about the train. And yes, I'm talking about the chugga chugga choo choo train. Okay? I don't know why we say choo-choo, choo-choo. It's not choo-choo, it's cha-cha, okay? <laughs> I don't know why it sounds better when we say it like Schwarzenegger like that. But the train. Now, the train, of course, the steam engine train, okay? And we're talking about somebody named George Stevenson. And in the early 1800s is when we kind of start the story with George Stevenson. Now, at the time, they had an interesting system for transporting, especially things like coal from a mine, and they needed to transport it somewhere else. That's a heavy load, and usually it's kind of a rough terrain to get there. So what they would do is they would have a horse or a mule pull heavy carts loaded with coal. But if you try pulling that on a rough terrain, it can be extremely difficult. So they would make tracks. Okay, these, these tracks, usually made of wood, that the cartwheels matched on width and they would go down. So it was a lot easier for the carts to be pulled. So they had these tracks, similar to train tracks, but they were for horses and they could pull these carts. Well, George Stevenson was given a job. Uh, he was involved with some of the coal mine things and he, he was very into mechanical engineering and he was tasked to make a new track. It was about eight miles long. And for this track, it was gonna be for these horses pulling these carts, and he started looking into this new steam engine cart. Now, he, the, people had already tried doing this, and in fact, we need to just stop and mention somebody's name really fast, Richard Trevithick, okay? Years, just not too many years, around 10 years before this, this guy actually invented a steam cart, or what you know, we could call a train. And I love this painting, that he's, it's like he's saying, hey, that, that's my idea, <laughs> okay. But um, if you look at this train that he invented, um, it actually worked, okay? He, he invented a train that worked. And you can see that big wheel on there. That's not actually the wheel that's touching the tracks. It's a flywheel. So this is, again, this is steam. So we have water that's being heated until it boils. And like Dr. Billings taught us last week, when water changes from water to steam, it times is by like about 1,600 in, in mass of how much space it takes. It expands tremendous amount. And so it, you can get a lot of pressure really easy and quickly. And so he had a steam engine. Now, steam engines had already been invented, but no one had 
tried and succeeded in making a steam engine actually move a wagon, okay? And he did it. And it had a flywheel on the back, and basically the steam engine is pushing a piston that's moving a rod, okay? The rod's connected to all these gears that are turning. The gears turns the flywheel and the wheels on the tracks. Now, why the flywheel? That's because once it gets going, that flywheel starts spinning fast enough, it creates a lot of momentum. So as this part of the steam engine is going forward and back, if it slows down or has a problem and then gets going again, the whole thing doesn't stop. The, fly, the momentum of that flywheel keeps it going. Okay, once it gets that flywheel going, it, it can keep the momentum. So why didn't this take off? Why didn't it do well? Well, a couple reasons. When he, he tested it, and it actually worked. It went 2.5 miles an hour, but it, so it wasn't breaking speed rack. Well, it broke speed rack. No one had one that could go, except for downhill. Okay. But it could pull a lot of weight. It was pretty powerful. It wasn't incredibly fast. One of the big problems was the tracks. He had it on wood, and it broke the wood track. So he tried iron tracks, and it even broke cast iron tracks. And he also had problems with being able to have traction because these metal wheels on the metal track he didn't have very much traction he tried increasing the weight and it just never took off and it was really they say ahead of its time so it was an incredible idea but it was ahead of its time so now we jump to George Stevenson and he knew about other people including Richard who had tried doing this and he decides he's gonna go talk to management who's paying him to make this track and get permission to try making a steam wagon that we can use on this track, and he gets approval. So he starts working on an idea, and he comes up with this invention, okay? This is the Locomotive One, and if you notice, there's no huge wheel on it on the back or anywhere, okay? And on this train engine, there's actually two going up and down, and they're not going like, like this, forward and back. He actually had them on the top, and they'd go up and down like this, and then he had a rod coming up from the top and it was attached to another rod and that rod went down to rods down at the wheels and so the rod that went down to the wheels would go like this and it would turn the wheels okay so it would go up and down and as it would go up and down it turned the wheels why did he do two well he did two so that and they weren't like this together they were like this and he purposely kept them off timed so that one was always down pushing so that if one got behind the other one would keep it moving. And that removed the need for a flywheel, okay? So he gets this working and a crowd turns out to see him try it on this eight mile track. He tries it out and it does work and it pulls and it goes about four to five miles an hour and it's actually pretty successful. And they actually used it on this run. So you could pay money to have your goods shipped eight miles down, usually if it was really heavy, you'd pay, but there was an issue. It wasn't exclusive. This is the train track. It was like, oh, upcoming, there's a mule. So you have to stop or slow down, wait for the mule, go, go, and then you can go again. And so that was an issue, okay? And it, it also had problems with breaking the tracks. These are heavy units, and he actually made it heavy on purpose to keep the traction of the wheels. But the tracks were breaking, so... Here's an example of we have something. It's starting to work. It actually was used, but now what do you, how am I going to get this everywhere? Okay, you need tracks. Well, he would see a huge opportunity in a new line he wanted to build from between two big cities in Britain, and that was from Liverpool to Manchester. 
And this would be a 30-mile um, track run that he would do. And it took a lot of work. We're not going to get into it, but it took a lot of work to get just approval to make this track. Finally, he gets approval of where he's going to make it. He starts making it. And they run into so many challenges. He learns in his research that trains do not like hills. Again, that, the traction, you, it doesn't work. It's, so you want as flat a run as you can. That means if you hit a hill, you need to go through the hill instead of go up the hill. Okay, so now we have to dig a tunnel through the hill. If we go to a valley, we could go oh, down the valley. That's nice, but then you got to go back up. Okay, so we're going to do a bridge over that valley. And he had to build many bridges. He had to build tunnels. There was a 10-mile bog. Okay, that's a European thing. A 10-mile bog. They didn't even know where the bottom was of the bog. And it, it was, like, impossible. You put a track on that train, it's going to turn into a submarine. Okay? <laughs> the locals helped him learn how to put, he put hay down, and then they put sticks lined. And then on top of that, they put gravel and other stuff. Then they put the track on top of that. And that was able to become a solid ground for the train. So he finally gets this done. And now the business that's going to own this says, OK, we're going to do a contest to see whose train we should use. Because by now, lots of people were trying to make trains. Okay, It was proven that you could do it. So lots of people are trying to make trains. So we're going to have a contest. We're going to call it the Rain Hill Trials. And big name train people, actually, they're not big name for trains because this was a new thing. But they show up from all over with these trains that they want to have become the train. Okay, so as you can see here, there's all kinds of random train setups. I love this one. There was even a horse, okay, on a, basically a little running wheel, <laughs> okay? And if your horse gets tired and die, you can just get on there and go yourself, okay? Get the passengers out. Um, lots of different ideas. And so the test was, you know, you can't just get on here and go. You have to get on the tracks and pull a bunch of coal. And we're going to see if you can go the distance and how fast you go and how reliable your train is. So all these different trains are trying to win this. There's thousands of people watching. And Stevenson, however, and his son, Robert, were actually working on their own new train. And so they brought it. It was the last one that they would try. And they named it the Rocket. Here, here's a drawing of it. And there's the actual Rocket. And George kind of oversaw his son in making this because he, he had his son making this while he was working on the, the train tracks and getting that done. But they put in a lot of research and things that he had learned. And so it was time for them to try Rocket. So they get it on there, and it starts to pull. Now, I do have to tell you that some of the other trains got up to 20, 22 miles per hour in pulling coal. However... Every single one of them had an issue. One of them burst on the tracks. Yeah. And we didn't have time for testing, so <laughs> the true story. Another one wasn't able to make it, just died out. Another one fell apart. I mean, this is, there's a lot of shake, shake, you know, stuff going on. And they didn't make it. So Rocket comes, and it starts pulling its load. And they got it up to 24 miles an hour. And they finished the entire run, okay? And then George turned to his son and said, okay, unhitch it. Let's see what she can do. Okay, he didn't say it. We don't know what he said. But they unhooked it from the coal and just let it run. And it w got up to 35 miles an hour on those tracks. Now, that may not seem very fast compared to a car today or even trains. But you have to realize that changed history. Because up to that moment, no one had ever gone that fast 
I mean, you, you, the fastest you could go was riding a horse or falling, <laughs> but riding a horse, which is like 25 to 30 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, man and you know people <laughs> had gone faster than ever before, and that just blew blew everyone away how fast they were going. So this would create all of a sudden, and they would start putting railways everywhere, and it would become obviously a door into the industrial revolution which was pretty incredible and you know why is it you know we all know the sound um, the, the, there's the sound the train makes of course to warn people okay we're coming get out of the way and they would use the steam to blow through a horn to warn you that they were coming because trains can't really stop very fast so if you're there you need to move because they're coming in, they're coming right on these tracks pretty straightforward um, <laughs> and so they would blow that horn and you know the the sound. I wish I had a, oh, oh, look. Oh, who put this in? Oh, I did. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I got this. I was so excited. I tried it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a caboose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's not a real sound. Uh, fun, fun story is that sound. But we all know, at least we better know, okay, when they upgraded a lot of trains to diesel, they thought, man, well, we don't have the steam anymore. We could do a new horn. So they put a serious horn on. I was like, oh, ha ha, sounded kind of like a semi. And that was a problem because people were like, oh, there's a semi nearby. Okay, let's keep playing. Ha ha. And so they rethought that and they figured out a, a way to kind of recreate the train sound. And the train sound, there's actually a special collection of notes that you play or that, that are pushed out to make the sound. So let's see, I have a sound. Let's see if we can hear it. Oh, come on. Okay, there's multiple notes. Yeah, isn't that great? That, that's what that horn was supposed to do, okay? So just remember, if you have an incredible breakthrough, there's probably a lot more chugga chugga choo choo that needs to happen, but keep doing that, or cha cha. Thank you. <laughs> And now, introducing Roger Billings. <laughs> it's the Ice Age. It is. It's like Frozen. I'm like that. Frozen girl. It's really great. You know, <laughs> I was uh, all prepared to talk about trains. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And then, then that Toby? Ne next time I'm going first. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think so. And then I knew he really stole my thunder when he said that they were trying to make the train take off. Can you imagine a train taking off? Yeah. He says it didn't take off. And I, well, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Did he steal all your thunder? Did you see the world here? I did. I the world. This is very significant. Okay. A lot of people are wondering what makes the world turn. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that it's not that complicated. The thing that makes the world turn is wind power, right? Let's demonstrate. Right away? <clears throat> mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> More, more. <laughs> more wind power. Awesome. <laughs> you did great. Okay. 
Is which, that really what makes which you Which proves. <laughs> what? I don't know what it proves, but we saw it right here. For, now, I want to talk. Can you see how this world is is levitating? Mm -hmm. It's floating right here on top. There's a hole there. Can That's you see cool. that hole? And it's being held up. We've been talking a lot about magnets mm -hmm. and about different, like, diamagnetic material, bismuth. Mm -hmm. and how it can repel magnetic fields and make things levitate. Well, here we have a world globe that is actually levitating by power of magnets. But there's something really special about this, and that's the way this works. This actually is plugged into electricity. And so there is an electromagnet here in the top, a magnet in the globe holding it up, and this magnet turns on and off. Now, just think this through with me for a minute. So the world is hanging at a certain height. If it starts to fall down a little bit, if we had a way to sense that it's starting to go down, we could turn the magnet on strong and it would pull it up. When it got too close, we could turn it off. Just by switching the electromagnet on and off, we could make it float right there. And it doesn't look like it's going up and down because no, it's it doing it so fast. But the sensor that can tell that the world is getting too far away from the magnet is a sensor using something called the Hall Effect. And the Hall Effect is something really fun to talk about tonight. It was invented by a guy named Dr. Hall, uh, Edwin Hall, and he actually was in the 1800s. We're in the 2000s, just in case anyone lost track. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Hall noticed that if you have a piece of conductive metal that you're running a current through, if you bring a magnet close to it, it moves the path electrons follow. Oh. Very simple phenomena. And that gives us the ability to sense magnetic fields. And we use these in all kinds of transducers and things today. But there's something even bigger about this that I want to talk about. Because I'm still very, very determined to talk about trains. Oh, yeah. okay. So I'm going to take this out of the way for a minute. Oh. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to say to the world before I take it? Mm. Hope it's happy. <laughs> happy world. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Now we've got lots of room. Oh, we forgot something. Yeah. Come back, come back, come back, come back. We have to show something, so let's put it right over here. Okay, we're going to use this in just a minute to demonstrate something, okay? But first, I want to show you a video. Some of you have probably been outside lately looked up at the sky just after dark, and maybe you saw something like this video. Hear the birds? Mm -hmm. Now watch. Do you see it? Okay, that's a train. That <laughs> is a train. And that's what a lot of people are calling them, a Starlink train. We have one flying over here tomorrow at 6 p.m. If anyone wants to see it, watch for it. But look at them. This particular train has 42 cars, wow. or I should say orbs or lights. And people, you know, that are out minding their own business and they look up and they see these, they get kind of spooked. They think that it's Peugeot's people. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might But be. actually, it's my people. It's Elon Musk. He's, he's, no, Elon's my future friend. Yeah. 
Yeah. He I doesn't like know yet. <laughs> but look at that. that. 42 of these little things go flying by. And what are they? Goodness. They're little tiny satellites launched into space by SpaceX. And these things are shot up into space in a rocket ship. In fact, in one launch, he launches, well, the, the biggest launch was 40 satellites in one launch. And they go up and, and they fly, and they fly in these patterns or constellations. Hmm. Now, how many of you have seen these firsthand? More and more people are starting to see them. And most people that see them for the first time are just sure that someone's people are taking over. That's right. I want and they're, they're really interesting, aren't they? They're pretty bright, and they only appear first thing after the sun sets, first thing in the evening or just before sunrise in the morning. It's the only time you see them. And quite often they're flying in this formation. Uh, one person told me they saw just four of them. Oh. Uh, some see more. But here there are these little trains of satellites oh. going around the world. Now, what are they doing? Well, Elon Musk has this idea that if we put up enough of them, we could use them to provide internet to places out in the boonies where they don't have internet available. Mm -hmm. And uh, for him to provide internet everywhere he would like to, he's going to need more than the 700 that are up right now. 700. He's going to need 12,000. Oh, goodness. But then to do the whole thing, about 43,000 of these little satellites all flying around. And people started looking at him saying, man, if they're that bright and there's that many, how are you even going to find the stars? And that's not going to work. And so guess what? If you haven't seen them yet, it might be a little harder to see them from now on. Because once people started concerning themselves with the fact they had these lights, he started putting sun shields on them to block them so they wouldn't be so bright or so you can't see them. So now they're a little harder to see. But I want to I wanna show you something with this world. Can you bring the sun over here for a minute? <laughs> okay, we're going to dim the light just a little bit here. Okay. And so as you can see, you can shine that right on her. No, no. Oh. Right, right, right on this. Okay. So see, here's, here's the world. And it's like uh, this side is day. Let's see. You need to come back this way a little bit. Yeah, give me a little more. Oh, the sun's setting. So you can see this line here where it's night on that side and it's day on the other side. And so now I have a little thing called a satellite. And as I launch it out into space, I want it to be over this dark area here, which it is. But as it gets out far enough, oh. it can see the sun, even though it's still over the dark part. And it's just before sunset or sunrise. You see how those light up and they reflect the sun, mm -hmm. and that's where that light's coming from. Is this interesting, anybody? Yes. You want to know more about this? Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Now you can take that for me. Good. So let's talk a little bit more about it. What do these satellites look like? Well, they weigh about 500 pounds each. Wow. Pretty big. And they, they look like square pancakes. They're flat. And when they're launched, they're all stacked up. And as they launch and they get out into space, they start spreading themselves out. They have little engines that power them. And they put up a solar collector. 
So they literally have a solar array that stands up tall above them, but you can't see that so well, so that's why it looks like that little white spot. Okay, I have a, an animation that kind of shows what they look like. Let, let's run that now and, and take a peek. So here we are. If you're looking at this animation, you can see all of those little satellites, and they're put inside a SpaceX rocket. The rocket goes up into space, the top opens, and there are all of the little satellites waiting to be deployed. You see them there? Okay, now we're going to release them. And there's nothing holding them together. They just start floating apart, and then they raise up their solar collectors. Their solar panel collects the sun, and that's what powers them, and they all get into these little trains and fly around the world and do interesting things. Now, the, the real fascinating thing I want you to think about for a minute is how would you power those little satellites? If you put a chemical fuel in them, like the big spaceship that launched them, they wouldn't be able to stay operative very long because they'd run out of fuel. So they use a new kind of propulsion. New, we've been using it since, well, it was, I think, first suggested back in the 1960s. But we've been using these for over 20 years to power some of our probes. But we call it ion propulsion. And in ion propulsion, you take an atom. That's a handsome atom. There's an atom. Whoa. <laughs> Take an atom. Remember, an atom is a nucleus with electrons going around it. And what you do is you knock off some of the electrons, and so you get something called an ion. An ion is a nucleus without enough electrons. Remember, in the center of an atom, there's protons. With a positive charge, the electrons go around with a negative charge. There's the same number of electrons and protons, so it's balanced. But if you knock some of the electrons off, then there's too many protons, so it has a positive charge. And if it has a positive charge, it is attracted to a very high voltage plate, which accelerates it. And so we create ions by knocking off the electrons, and then we accelerate them out of the back of the engine at very, very high speeds, and that gives us the push. Now, ion engines have a very small amount of push but they do it day after day after day after day. And because of that, they can do really amazing things. Now, what kind of atoms do you think you'd use for something like this? Strong ones. The ones that NASA has been using for a long time. And by the way, we sent a probe out to uh, look at a, uh, an asteroid. And it actually flew from one asteroid to another to a third. And the only engine that could have done that would be this ion engine. But they used uh, a material called xenon to be able to do that. Elon Musk is using krypton. You know, he got mm -hmm. from Superman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Krypton is like xenon, except it's like one-tenth as expensive. Wow. Which is why he made a good choice. If he had used xenon with all of these satellites he's launching, he would have to get the total world supply of xenon just for his satellites for a whole year. That'd be very expensive. So he did it with Krypton, which mm -hmm. is kind of neat. It is. Another thing that's kind of interesting to be used as one of the fuels for these ion engines is element number 83. Do you remember what that oh, is? It's bismuth. Bismuth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, bismuth keeps showing up, doesn't it? Well, anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this. So after uh, 
these particles get shot out the back. And, and when I say shot out, I mean that literally. They're very lightweight, but they go out at such high velocities, that's how they get the push. And when I say high velocities, they can go up to as fast as 100,000 miles per hour. Wow. The ones they're doing now are more like 25,000 miles an hour. But that, that very high speed, even with small mass, gives the push. So as these things start floating apart, they raise their solar collectors because the power that powers them is the sun. And as the sun starts collecting power, it starts turning on this pulse engine, and then it starts giving thrust so they can start flying and keeping the right distance apart. And the technology used for this, this ion engine is the Hall effect. <laughs> the very same thing that uh, Dr. Hall discovered clear back in the 1800s. Oh, cool. So a Hall effect thruster is how these things are possible. And frankly, uh, to my knowledge, there is no other thruster technology that would work well enough to really do what uh, Mr. Musk is doing. I think it's kind of neat. So a little simple idea. Now, some of you know that uh, just today they were testing a new rocket and they're going to perfect landing a bigger rocket so that it'll be reusable. And I think just today they had a malfunction on the landing. And it, uh, uh, well, the way Elon put it was we got all the data we needed. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm sure that he meant that because uh -huh. now they see what they've got to do to actually be able to make this be a regular thing. So remember the optimism curve? Well, right now he's down here. Remind but right. he's positive yeah. and he's not yeah. giving up, is he? like your science fair project that you yeah, recorded. This your... is kind of like his science fair project. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, he's doing quite a few science fair projects. Uh -huh. And you know what? Uh, I wonder how many of the students uh, taking a cellus right now are realizing how you're very much like Elon. I mean, he eats earth food, yeah. you know, hamburgers, fries, whatever. He, he's like us. Or I should say we're like him. And we can do the kinds of amazing things he's doing. Now, he's pretty gifted. We've got to hand that to him. But so are we. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we're able to do is going to depend on how well we do in our studies. They asked him in an interview the other day, so how in the world can you build your own rockets? What do you know about rockets? And he says, well, to start with, I did get a degree in physics. And he says, that was a good foundation. And I thought, yes, it really was. <laughs> If you're going to build rockets when you get older or do anything else that's really, really neat, the knowledge that you're accumulating is going to empower you to do it, just like these ion pulse engines with a Hall effect propel these spacecraft. Now, I'd like to show you a little bit more. Uh, would you like to actually see these platters being dispersed into space? I think it'd be kind of neat. Let's, let's look at a clip of the SpaceX. Here it is. They just opened the top chambers. These are the satellites waiting to be deployed. And in just a second, they're going to break loose. And then they're just going to start very, very, very slowly breaking apart, which I think is, is pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah. So there they go. This is all the students can do a sell us out in the... So they can do a cellus anywhere. A cellus anywhere. Yep. Yeah. When you're out in the desert <laughs> on a trip or 
top of Mount Everest or uh -huh. anywhere else, you can anywhere. still log into your science live, I mean to your classes, <laughs> okay? Uh, I've got another clip I'd like to show. This is the launch. Let's take a look at that. This is where the ship Ten, is nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition, liftoff. So now we're burning a chemical fuel to get enormous thrust to put this big heavy payload into orbit. And that they can do with chemical fuels, but once there they get go. up there, they need something better. That's all 60 of those Starlink satellites. And there, there they go. If you can see, they're stacked up, 30 high on each side, and then they float out and, and they do this kind of stuff. So is the Hall effect where the magnet turns on and off? I'm trying to understand what exactly Yeah, the, the... magnets turn on and off. Yeah, so explain What? <laughs> <laughs> The Hall effect is not turning magnets on and okay. off, like but in, in a real oversimplified term, the Hall effect is a way of detecting the presence of a magnet. Oh. If a magnet gets close to a Hall effect sensor, it detects that magnetic field. Okay. And in the case of this little globe, it turns the magnet on or off depending on how close it is. And in this case, it's the phenomena of the Hall effect which distorts the path of electrons through a conductor that is able to create the ions which then go shooting out the back of this impulse engine. Not an impulse engine, this ion impulse engine. Does that all make sense? Mm -hmm. Better now. All right, you know, can you imagine though seeing these if you didn't know what they were? No. And you know, we're, we're really an amazing country here in the United States, but uh, these things go around the whole world. And uh, I'd just like to show you one more clip, and then we'll get off this. But I'd like to show you a little train that went chugging across Germany. And you can imagine what those Germans thought. What? Let's, <laughs> let's take a look at it. Here we go. Germany. On my cue. Oh, you can see it. Mark. Can you see anything there? Mm-hmm. You can see it's just always right at sunrise or sunset, just after. But here they come. And you know, this is some guy doing his science fair project. I think it's really neat. <laughs> Letting us all see it. Yeah, I, I just think it's, it's really, really fun. So we've got that all figured out. Now, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to do something else, and I have to tell you, that I'm going to reveal some secrets to you that must be kept confidential. <laughs> Can you keep a confidence? Awesome. Well, in that case, I, said yes. <laughs> I would like to show you something. Can you see this? Is it, is it so you can see it? Maybe, maybe if I put it in front of the white. There you, go. there you go. Now we can see it. Oh, look at that. This is a ball. Uh, what's your favorite color? It's blue, actually. You would have said whatever color <laughs> I had, wouldn't you? She's no. so cooperative. <laughs> this, this is a blue ball, and I'm going to use it for a little demonstration, okay? And this is a, a little cup made out of, of leather, and you can see I have two of these, leather cups. Mm, I like leather. 
And the, the smell of leather. You like them? Yeah. The, the thing about these leather cups is that you can do really amazing things with them. Now, I yeah. want you to watch this very carefully, Titus. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Can you see this? I'm going to put that little ball on top of there like so. Now, I'm going to take my cup. I'm going to put it over. And then I'm going to lift it up. And as you can see, magic. the ball went down to the bottom. How'd you do that? Well, I'll show you. Okay. You put it on top like that. Then you put this on. Okay. If you just pick it up without doing the magic, yes, nothing happens. Do you know what the magic word is? What is it? Hydrogen. 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 You hydrogen. say hydrogen. Okay. Oh, and it and works. And lo and behold, it works. Ta-da. Now, I told you I'm going to share with you my technology, right? Mm -hmm. And you got to be sure not to tell anybody because this is, you know, this is private, okay? <laughs> but here is the secret. Okay. The secret is this little blue ball is homemade. In fact, Vicki over there, bless uh -huh. her eye, Vicki, wove the blue yarn make these little balls yeah, and inside job. there's a little piece of cork and in the middle of the cork I drilled a hole and I stuck a little magnet. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now if you have a magnet, a magnet will attract a magnet. Just think of my hand as a magnet. See the attraction? Uh -huh. Well there isn't any because my <laughs> hand is not a magnet. And see that was low on the optimism curve but I didn't give up. And so what did I do? I bought a ring that's like a magnet, but it didn't work either because it wasn't a magnet. It was a ring. It was pretty. And so that's where I discovered the magic of epoxy. <laughs> and with epoxy, I was able to glue a little magnet onto my ring. Can you see that? So now look at this ball. Watch it. Watch it. Whoop. Got to hit the hole. Boop. Oh, it's magic. So now... I could say, do you see this ball? Do you see the ball? And I could just pass my hand straight over the top like that. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and the magnet grabs it. So what do you think happens if I put the ball on here? Now, I want to show you there's no ball under this cup because guess what? My magnet is holding it there. Can you see that? We need to keep Titus well. going on here, Noam. Come on. Okay, there it is. Can okay. you see the ball yeah. on there? Now just leave it on, on Titus, please. Okay, so I put it there. Okay. There's no ball, but I pull the magnet away, and suddenly there's a ball. And, uh, you know, I could probably pick up the cup like this, mm -hmm. and the magnet would grab it, oh, cool. and the ball's disappeared again. There it is. There it isn't. And I could do amazing things. Watch okay, what I watch. could do. I could take this cup, put it on top. I could pull off like, oh, ball's gone. There it is. Like that. Ball's back. Oh, <laughs> ball's gone. There it is. Ball's gone. Ball's back. So now the question for you uh -huh. is which one of these has the ball underneath it? Now I have to show you that I do happen to have a magic Magic oh, wand, which you can Fresh use there. I want you to guess which one of these the ball's under. Do I point with the point. magic wand? No. Well, you can oh. just, yeah, with the magic wand. Just take the magic wand and point to the magic one. wand. Okay, which one? You think it's that one or this one? 
This one? It's this it? one. You think not this one? That's good because there's nothing here. And you think it's there, huh? I'm confused. Is it? Oh, oh. she's right. <laughs> it's there. She got lucky that time. I did. Let's what? Let's try it again. Okay. Now, first of all, I want to show you another move. Please pay very close attention. Are you watching? Mm-hmm. Well, that fooled me. <laughs> okay, now watch careful. Slow motion. Take it like this. Uh-huh. I would like you to do me a favor. Could you please pick a number between 1 and 16 and say it out loud? Three. Three. Hmm. Three. Three. Okay. One, two, three. Are you ready? No way. <laughs> That's amazing. It's a real ball, too. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. So now you know how to do the magnet thing. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I have Any a, questions about that? I have, hmm. I was just realizing I really like number three. Of course. That's why you chose it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the real number I wanted to choose. That's, that's the number you choose. <laughs> I feel a tad disappointed. Not disappointed in you. <laughs> what would have happened so if I had a different number? The way the magnets work. I'm, what, I'm being what, kind of serious. Can we talk about this after? <laughs> yes, go ahead. So, yeah. So what would have happened if I chose number seven? It would probably be something like this. Okay, choose the number seven. Seven. Didn't no, work. Didn't work. <laughs> I get one choice. That's that surprising, one. isn't that? <laughs> you know, some people are never happy. They ask for number three, you give them number three. You think that would make them happy. But no, 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 they want number seven. Okay. What? Well, you're a magician and everything, so I was going to take a peek. Go ahead. I dare you. I dare you. <laughs> I made a roll a long time ago. I don't do any more dares. Take a dare. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Is it seven? Uh, seven. All right. Well, that was awesome. so the moral of the story is <laughs> you have to keep track of where your magnets are. Don't do magic okay. with KJ. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they figured that out themselves, okay? But you know, a simple technology like the Hall Effect is just part of the property of how magnets work. Uh, magnetism is caused by the electron spin going around the, the atom, electron spin. And in atoms, usually one electron spins one way and the other one spins the other way, so there's no, the, the device or the object is not magnetic. When they happen to have the spins aligned, and they're not balanced out by a counterspin, then it becomes magnetic. Uh, when magnetism was first discovered, someone found a rock. And the rock is what we call a lodestone. And not all lodestones are this way, but some lodestones are like little magnets. They're just found that way in nature. And they're an iron oxide but they're, they're just naturally found as magnets. Some scientists think the reason that they're magnetized is because they were maybe struck by lightning. 
Why do you call them lodestones? Because that's their name. Why do oh. we call you Page A? <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, I'm, because that's what your people call you. <laughs> that's right. But anyway, uh, when we take a lodestone material or a magnetic material, ferromagnetic, and put it inside of a coil and run a, a current through it, it aligns all of the unpaired electrons and then it becomes a magnet, a permanent magnet. That's correct. It's an amazing thing, and we can do magic with magnets. Uh, if you haven't got some magnets, you should. You should experiment with them, fill that power and that. They're neat. Yeah, they They're are neat. They're really neat. But just think, now we've got a guy named Elon Musk who is actually using this observation of Dr. Hall mm -hmm. to be able to make these spacecraft and make them practical. There's no way he could make this many spacecraft if he was trying to use any other propulsion system. And I think it's pretty neat. Eventually, these things are going to spread out. They're going to fly to a higher orbit. And you know why he's so interested in this propulsion system? Mm -mm. He wants to go to Mars. Oh, that's right. And you know, to get to Mars is going to take a very, 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 very long time because it's so far away. But... Uh, from what I hear, Mr. Musk thinks that if we could build a very powerful ion propulsion engine, we could accelerate so fast that we could be there in a couple months. Wow. And that would make it a lot more interesting. I, th you know, here's the clue. If you want to figure things out, you have to just take the data points and, and put them together. And here's the clue. I think he's planning to go to Mars. I think, yeah. I think Elon personally is planning to go to Mars. Oh. And you're going to say, how do I know? Because he already sent his car ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And for those of you who don't get it, yeah, on one of his spaceships, he's testing out, he needed something to ship into space mm -hmm. to see if it could lift a big heavy load. So he put a Tesla car. <laughs> so his car has gone ahead. You're so and smart. It'll be flying. And, and in the car, remember, he's got a person sitting there, a, a dummy. At least I hope it was. A <laughs> anyway, he's having a lot of fun. And, you know, inventing, creating things is a lot of fun. But he didn't get to do this until he learned physics. And you can't learn physics till you learn math. And that's why we study so hard. It's worth it. The more learning you do, the easier it becomes, the more fun it becomes, and the power that it gives you. Can you imagine having the power to know she was going to choose number three? That's impressive because... And can you imagine knowing her well enough to know she would never be satisfied? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much. We'll see you next time. That's awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a great one.